Welcome to another edition of Profiles, a look into the music, artistry, lives, and legacies of the musicians and artists who defined a uniquely creative era by breaking boundaries and finding new influences. While they not only ushered in social as well as political change, they also created immensely popular legacies that have truly stood the test of time. Welcome to special programming on KPFK. My name is Maggie LaPique, and I'll be your host for the hour. My guest this hour is writer extraordinaire Alan Light. Alan is an Emmy Award-winning music journalist, best-selling author, and a frequent contributor to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Esquire. He's a former editor-in-chief of Vibe and Spin magazines, a former senior writer at Rolling Stone, and the co-host of the long-running Sirius XM music talk show, Debatable. His books include biographies of Johnny Cash, The Beastie Boys, and his co-author, Memoirs by Greg Allman and Peter Frampton. He's also written The Holy or the Broken, Leonard Cohen, Jeff Buckley, and The Unlikely Ascent of Hallelujah, which was adapted into the acclaimed 2022 documentary Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen, A Journey, A Song, and Let's Go Crazy, Prince, and The Making of Purple Rain. We began the show with music from Nina Simone because that is our topic in this hour. I put a spell on you. Today we're going to celebrate Nina Simone's 90th birthday. She was born February 21st, 1933, and we'll be discussing Ellen Light's book, What Happened Miss Simone, a biography inspired by the award-winning Netflix documentary. Alan Light, welcome back to KPFK. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for uh, bringing me back. It's wonderful to have you. Uh, the way you wrote this fascinating book is unusual, and you've described it as a very upside-down way to put a book together. Tell us about how the work of yours got started and some of the challenges you faced in putting together this Nina Simone book. Yeah, it was a particularly interesting process working on this book. I think probably a lot of people are familiar with the documentary, What Happened, Miss Simone, which was nominated for an Oscar and very popular on Netflix and really brought about a resurgence of interest in Nina and in her life and in her work. And the, um, I guess it was the production company behind the film contacted me and said, you know, we did all of this research for this film and we pulled all of this stuff together and all of these archives and her diaries and interview transcripts and all of this stuff. And of course, only a, a little fraction of that makes it into the 90 minutes of a film. And so, you know, what we'd like is if we just sort of gave you all of this stuff and all of these files and you put together a book that fleshed out that story and sort of connected the dots and filled in the rest of the gaps of all of this fascinating life that we weren't able to get to the screen. So it's really sort of a backwards way of doing things. Obviously, usually if you go write a book, you start from zero and you go out and start researching and you gather all of that stuff and then figure out how to put that together into a narrative. Here, they just sort of handed me this treasure trove of information and notes and files. And I had to dig through all of that to then sort of bottom up, put the story together. It's an interesting model. It makes you think, man, probably a lot of documentaries should think about doing that because there is so much beyond what makes it into the film that rounds out the rest of the story. And you've touched on it already, but how challenging was it to create a chronology, as you put it, and get the wealth of material you had in a proper sequence? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there's that. There's you're working with a lot of raw stuff. And there's also 
you know, when you're doing the research on your own and you're conducting the interviews on your own, you're able to direct a lot of the questioning. You're able to dig into themes and pieces of the story that are sort of emerging for you along the way that you want to make sure to focus on. Here, you're working with what you've got. And particularly with somebody like Nina, who was a brilliant and fascinating person, artist, human, activist, all of those things. She's also not necessarily the most reliable narrator of her own story and says things that are sometimes contradictory or that sometimes don't line up with you know the rest of the facts as you report them. And so trying to figure out how much of this was about presenting Nina's voice and her version of the story, and then how much of it was about looking at that more critically and more as a reporter and trying to slot in where her recounting of these situations did and didn't line up with you know what may have actually happened. So all of that stuff, you're not able to go back and re-ask the questions. You're not able, again, to sort of direct the way that any of that goes. You're working with a set bunch of stuff, and there's a lot of challenge of figuring out what the balance is and, again, you know who you're going to listen to in which situations. So would it be safe to say that this is a story full of contradictions and conflicts? Well, conflicts, certainly. I think the life of Nina Simone is a life that's, you know, filled with conflicts, internal and external. And a lot of times her understanding of the situation ultimately is more important to the way her life went on than what the sort of objective truth may be. I mean, sort of famously, she spends her young life training as a classical pianist with the idea that she's going to go to conservatory and she's going to become the great black female pianist in ways that have never been seen before. Classical pianist. And she um, tries out for the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia, you know, celebrated conservatory. And she's not accepted. And she is convinced that the reason she's not accepted is because of her race. Now, when you go back and look at the enrollment in the school, there were other black students who attended Curtis at the time. It was not 100% segregated, and that was a door that was completely shut. So, you know, do you take for her word, well, that's why she didn't get in because she was applied African-American applicant? Or is it more complicated than that? And there were other black students who were accepted and she just wasn't accepted. That's important in one way, but in a way what's more important is the way that she perceived that and that defined so much of the way she then went out and dealt with the world and dealt with the music world that, you know, she saw this as this incredible slight, this incredible racist decision, judgment, whether or not that's a hundred percent true. That was a critical turning point in her life and in the way that she thought about her work and the future of her work. I want to remind folks you're listening to special programming on KBFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles. I'm your host for the hour, Maggie LaPeak, and my special guest is the wonderful author, Alan Light, and we're celebrating Nina Simone's 90th birthday. She was born February 21st, 1933, and we're talking about Alan's book, What Happened, Miss Simone, a biography inspired by the award-winning Netflix documentary. And I just wanted to read a little bit about her for those listening that are just learning about this genius of an artist and human being, Nina Simone. She was born Eunice Kathleen Wayman in Tryon, North Carolina, on February 21st, 1933. 
her talent as a musician was evident early on when she started playing piano by year at the age of three. Her mother, a Methodist minister, and her father, a handyman and preacher himself, couldn't ignore young Eunice's God-given gift of music. She was one of the most extraordinary artists of the 20th century, an icon of American music. She was the consummate music storyteller, a griot, as she would come to learn, who used her remarkable talent to create a legacy of liberation, empowerment, passion, and love through a magnificent body of work. She earned the moniker High Priestess of Soul, for she could weave a spell so seductive and hypnotic that the listener lost track of time and space as they became absorbed in the moment. She was who the world would come to know as Nina Simone. She passed from this earth April 21st, 2003, 20 years ago, and I believe her legacy will be with us long, long after we're gone, Alan Light, because it is just so phenomenal. Yeah, I just sidebar that Ken Stavangi talked about her early years, and it's just uh, worth mentioning that there's a big project underway to restore her childhood home in North Carolina. And Venus Williams has actually been really active, one of the people really leading the effort to raise the money to preserve and restore Nina's childhood home. So just since you bring up her early years, I think that's worth mentioning. And yeah, I think that one thing that's so extraordinary, but also was really challenging in Nina's work, I think you mentioned, you know, the breadth and the scope of the music that she made. And what she did was so uncategorizable. The music that she made, which ranged from traditional folk songs to show tunes, to songs from other countries, to blues, you know, to jazz, to all of these different things that she incorporated. She was very sensitive about being labeled. Um, you know, people, when she started, talked about her as a jazz artist, and she really bristled about that. She says, what I play isn't jazz. I'm not an improviser. You're just saying that because I'm Black, you know, because I'm a Black musician, you'd say that I'm playing jazz, but that has nothing to do with the music that I'm making. She was sort of okay with that high priestess of soul <laughs> label because it was more sort of an attitude and a vibe <laughs> than a, you know, a specific musical box. And that leads to this, you know, amazing body of work that she made and this wide range of things that she drew from. But at the same time, it's hard, especially then when, you know, it was a much less sophisticated time for marketing music. You know, which section of the record store did you go in? Very simple <laughs> things of like, what do we call you? If you're going to go on TV, how do they introduce you? The eclecticism of her music was really central to its greatness, but also sort of an obstacle to a lot of the basics of getting her music out there to a bigger audience. Let's take a short musical break and take a listen to one that I love so much that Nina wrote called For Women. Alan, would you like to comment on For Women? Yeah, I think... Nina Simone didn't write a lot of music. She was mostly an interpreter, but there were a few times in her life where she felt so compelled, felt so strongly about a situation or an issue that she just kind of sat down and wrote something. And this song, Four Women, looking at the history of African-American women and the issue of colorism and the different sorts of histories that Black women have in this country, this was one of those times when she just felt 
something so strongly that even if she wasn't really a songwriter, this was the song that came out of her. Nina Simone, Four Women, uh, originally from an LP issue, Wild is the Wind. Wow. Alan Light joining me in this special hour. We're celebrating Nina's 90th birthday. The beautiful Nina Simone, born February 21st, 1933. And we're referencing Alan's wonderful book, What Happened, Miss Simone?, a biography inspired by the award-winning Netflix documentary. Alan, I don't know about you, but every time I hear that song, I have chills up and down my spine, and I'm emotional, and uh, that's the power of Nina Simone. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's riveting in whichever version. You hear, you know, the nuance of the different way that she delivers each verse, the different character that she's presenting in each verse. I mean, she was a virtuosic performer when she chose to be and did things, you know, that nobody else could do. You mentioned the Wild is the Wind album just reminds me of the influence that she had on David Bowie, who recorded the song Wild is the Wind from, you know, learning it from her version and that they became actually quite close offstage at one point. I think that other performers really identified and recognized what it was that was so special that was so unique about what Nina Simone did. It's the 90th anniversary of her birth. It's also the 20th anniversary this year of her passing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, we only continue to understand and then there continue to be younger artists who discover and explore and find other and new ways that the work that she did resonates. Tell us why you've said that themes from Nina Simone's childhood and the relationship to her parents played out throughout the rest of her life. Well, she had a really, it's a very complicated childhood because she truly was, you know, this child prodigy as a piano player. I mean, her community got together and started a fund to raise money to send her to a school where she could study music and where she could study piano. This was bigger than just you know, a family thing. This was really the entire town recognizing the talent and the potential. I mean, these were laborers. This was not a, you know, an affluent place where they were pooling what money they could to say, this is the one who's got a shot. We really need to, you know, stand together and give her this opportunity. But she always felt misunderstood by her parents. She felt that she never got the respect and the love of her mother that she wanted to have. Her father was kind of a you know, not a drifter, but didn't really hold down a permanent job and was certainly more open to the creative side of her life. But, you know, that power dynamic in her mother seems like a much stronger presence. And so she had this funny thing where she was carrying this responsibility and this expectation that her community had put on her while at the same time sort of feeling not loved enough and needing to prove herself to her own family. And that was something that she really never resolved, that even much later in her life, you know, very small recognition from her parents 
things that you, you and I, you know, probably wouldn't even notice. She writes extensively about in her diary, or she talks a lot about, you know, that she's getting some little bit of acknowledgement from them. And so I think a lot of that really shaped what her relationship to the larger world was and what her expectations were in positive and negative ways. There's so much to talk about, but before we run out of time, I want to ask you about Lorraine Hansberry. What will we discover about her relationship with the author of Raisin in the Sun, the beautiful Lorraine Hansberry? Yeah. And why do you describe her as a mentor figure to Nina? Yeah, it's an excellent question because Lorraine Hansberry really was this very, very important influence on Nina's life and on her work. And as you mentioned, Lorraine Hansberry wrote Raisin in the Sun, among other works, but this uh, you know incredibly gifted and successful Black woman playwright. And when Nina came to New York, she sort of fell in with, you know, the sort of black intellectual set. She became friendly with James Baldwin, you know, with a lot of the writers and the poets. But Lorraine Hansberry, first of all, obviously as a woman and as an accomplished woman creator, was a, a sort of signal figure for what Nina's ambitions could be. But also Lorraine Hansberry was very active, very plugged in politically and really, I think, helped focus Nina's sort of sociopolitical interests and ambitions for what she might do with her music. You know, Nina did play for some of the uh, civil rights marches, but she was also very, you know, when she met Martin Luther King, she said, I just want to tell you, I am not nonviolent. She made clear that she thought about things, you know, in a more, you know, more, more, active and reactive way than the passive resistance of Dr. King's movement. And Lorraine Hansberry, I think, really spent time with her, talked to her, gave her stuff to read, gave her stuff to think about, and ways to think about utilizing her music to express a message that most immediately came out when Nina wrote the song Mississippi Goddamn, which was a huge breakthrough for her, and really the first song that she wrote, and the most outspoken, I mean, nobody had written anything as direct a political protest within and for the civil rights movement as Mississippi Goddamn was. There was nothing metaphorical about that. There was nothing sort of symbolic about it. She was writing these very direct, uh, you know, these words that were very direct about her anger and her frustration. And a lot of that really came from Lorraine Hansberry and really gave Nina a direction that she pursued. You know, her activism was very much in parallel with her art for the whole rest of her life. Alan, let's take a listen to Mississippi Goddamn. And I want to let folks know that I'm playing from a new collection because Verve Records Universal Music Group is doing all kinds of special releases in honor of Nina's 90th birthday. And I'm sure that you've heard about the album that was recently released, Alan, You've Got to Learn, which is from the Newport Jazz Festival in 1966 that is never been released. We're not going to play that version, but we're going to play from Great Women of Song, Nina Simone, Mississippi, Goddamn. The name of this tune is Mississippi, Goddamn.
My name is Maggie LaPique. This is special programming. We're celebrating the beautiful Nina Simone, born February 21st, 1933, her 90th birth year this year, 2023. And we've been talking to Alan Light, and we're going to continue to talk to him for a few more minutes. Alan Light's book, What Happened, Miss Simone, a biography inspired by the award-winning Netflix documentary. So I wanted to ask you, just because Nina was such a complex character, how do you wrap up all the elements of who she is in a single definition or definitive conclusion, or would you even want to? Uh, uh, like I said, I don't even know how you wrap up and define just what her music was that doesn't fit into any sort of easy category. And, you know, just even to listen to Mississippi Goddamn, just think of the context. It's 1964. Uh-huh. You know, people were, there were protest songs, but protest songs were, you know, Dylan writing Blowing in the Wind or Sam Cooke singing A Change is Gonna Come. These were very sort of, I mean, they're beautiful songs, but they're very sort of generalized, you know, if you know what they're talking about, you know what they're talking about. Nobody was writing anything, naming names and places and just talking about something as square on as a song like Mississippi Goddamn. It's just extraordinary to think about putting that song out in that, that moment. So, look, I think that, you know, there were two sort of fundamental disappointments that shaped Nina Simone. One, as we said, was this training, studying as a classical pianist, not getting accepted into the conservatory and having to really redefine her expectations of what her music could do and could be. And then, you know, you asked about Lorraine Hansberry and committing as absolutely as she did to the civil rights movement, to the political side of her life, and then watching leaders get assassinated and the movement sort of dissipate. So these two things that she kind of banked everything on ultimately end up letting her down and disappointing her. So, um, you know, I think that with Nina, there's this constant, you know, you're you're always aware that of all of these groundbreaking things that she did and of all of these sort of unprecedented places that she went in her music and in her activism, that to her, it was a life of such tremendous disappointment and that, you know, the things, the possibilities that she saw for herself that she was not able to attain. And so I think, you know, we're very aware of that frustration and that sort of sorrow in what it is that she did. So you can make the list, you know, pianist, singer, activist, you know, they can put those words together, but there is something so singular about who she was and what she did that I don't know uh, how close you get to wrapping that up in an especially concise way. Yes. Alan Light, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Your insight has just been absolutely wonderful And I'm just so happy to be celebrating Nina because I love her so much and she's such a big part of my life. And I know people feel the same way as me that are listening and just all over the world. Hopefully they can be listening to KPFK's stream, kpfk.org. You can always listen online. But she is just so magnificent and so deserves to be up on that pantheon of, the you know, greatest of all time. She's a goat. <laughs> and we love her so much. And if folks want to see what you're up to, what's the best way? Do you have a website? or I do not. I do not. Oh, no, another one. I know. 
But you can find out so much about yes. Alan Light just online. Looking, uh, yeah, just keep looking for, yeah. for the byline. And uh, you do amazing work. And are uh, you still doing the show on uh, Sirius XM? Sadly, I am not. They closed our channel down. Um, they handed it over to Conan O'Brien. God love him after they did a big deal with him and needed okay. the space on the dial. <laughs> we did about seven years of a really, really fun you got, show. So. You got bumped by Conan. That's not a bad You got bumped by Conan. Could be yeah. worse. But thank you, Maggie, for this opportunity and for keeping the spotlight on Nina and this amazing work. Thank you, Alan Light, and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you, Maggie. Be well. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Profiles, and please join me next time for another in-depth look at the legendary musicians and artists who changed the trajectory, opened our minds, and who continue to inspire us. I'm your host and producer, Maggie LaPique. Special thanks to my producers, Jerry O and Andrea Love. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next time for Profiles with Maggie LaPique.